Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. The Word of God as it comes to us from Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. Well, an uh, English teacher at Texas A&M gave her students an assignment that they write on the Sermon on the Mount. So she copied it off and sent it home with the students, and they had to they'd respond to it. They had to give some input back as to what their impressions were. And I, I'm not even sure if they realized that this was, this was Jesus from the Scriptures, even though Texas A&M is is uh, part of Texas and Texas being Texas and Bible Belt being Bible Belt might be a little bit surprised that some may not have actually realized that. But here's a few statements that came out from a reading out of context of the Sermon on the Mount. In my opinion, religion is one big hoax. You shouldn't believe everything you read and it applies in this case. 18, 19 year old student. I did not like the essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read. It made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery? That is the most extreme, stupid, inhuman statement that I've ever heard. Calling Jesus stupid? It's a tough word. It's a hard word. And when we, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it, it challenges us because we, we just find it hard to fit in. Where are we in this sermon? Where are we in this passage? We can't seem to find ourselves. But Jesus, when he was doing what he was doing, when he was carrying on his ministry and People would come to him, the broken, the hurting, the maimed. You can imagine all of our nursing homes around here, all assisted living uh, communities, people in wheelchairs, etc., or those who have to be pushed around, having them all brought in. And then someone going out into the, into the, uh, the woods out here and bringing in the homeless people who have no place to live and who are strung out on drugs or alcohol, and they come in. And out of the bars, we empty the bars, and those people come in, and they're a part of what we're doing as a church, and on and on and on, and as well as the upstanding and 
decent citizens of our community, everyone comes in. That's what Jesus faced. But he was particularly a magnet to the people who were sinning and suffering. The people who were having such a hard time with life, Jesus was a magnet to them. So when Jesus spoke, he was speaking to people who had virtually nothing going in their favor. And as well as those who thought they had a lot going in their favor. But this sermon has a tendency to undo some and, and upbuild others. It has a tendency to call it all into question. You know, in our Lord's Prayer we say, on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> We're a long way from that. But what we do pray for is the reign of God here. And when Jesus speaks, we get a, a hint of what the reign of God looks like. And yet this is not some sort of a formula for a, a utopia. The Sermon on the Mount is often looked at as sort of a, a standalone piece in the midst of Jesus' ministry, sort of the core, the, the, the middle of Jesus' ministry. And there's a tendency to sort of lift it up as sort of a, a high ethic and a calling into which we people should be moving. Leo Tolstoy, I think, made that mistake. He took it on and he, he developed a whole structure and a system around him and a community around him. And it turns out that Leo Tolstoy's thinking ended up participating in the Bolshevik Revolution because it was utopian in its thinking. Misses the point. Jesus is speaking to real people, us and others, to us and even those people that we would want to have nothing to do with. He's speaking to all of us. Matthew puts Jesus on the mount. Luke puts him on the plain. But Matthew, in putting Jesus on the mount, is in many ways replicating the activity of Moses, who was on the Mount of Sinai. The opening commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. The opening statement of Jesus is, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the commandment talks about what is the nature of God. The Sermon on the Mount talks about what is the nature of humanity. What is our nature? And the problem with Tolstoy and others who try to make this sort of a utopian system or a high ethic is it fails to realize who we are. <laughs> if we're basically good, then yes, maybe we can achieve that. If humanity is essentially good, then maybe we can muster all of our strength and achieve that kind of perfection that the sermon talks about. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's us. We're not basically good. We're basically fallen. We have in the middle of all of us a, a, sin, a sinful nature. And, and that, 
That is the reality into which Jesus speaks. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. That is good news to those people who are so broken, to those people who recognize acutely their their sinfulness. That means there's some good news to them. It doesn't mean that we have to break our own spirit in order to be acceptable. Because we've all been there. We've all had our spirits broken. We know what it is to to lose a relationship, to lose a spouse, to lose a child. We know what it is to lose a job or to be rejected. We know what those moments of poor or poverty of spirit, we know what that's all about. But it is perhaps in those times that the word of our Lord comes to us in a manner that we're able to hear it. I had a conversation with a young woman in my church in California. Brilliant, brilliant young girl who actually came to me one Sunday and said, why is it the only baptized, only baptized people can come to the table? And I said, I don't know. That's what the book of order says. <laughs> so very bright. From that time on, I opened the table. Anyone could come because of that young woman. She came into me and was talking in my office and she was weeping, profusely crying. She's saying, I'm so dumb. I'm ugly. People don't like me. At this point, she's like a sophomore in college. And I'm looking at this, what I think is a beautiful, bright, young woman with all of her future ahead of her. But she is coming to me as her pastor and, and giving, a, giving me this the story of utter brokenness. And I, I tried to give her a hope. I tried to get her to look beyond. I gave her a couple examples from my own life and tried to get her above that place. And she says, this isn't helpful. And she kept going. She wanted me to just be with her in that valley. She didn't want me to fix it. She just wanted to know that it was okay for her to feel so horrific, so broken, so hurt. She wanted me to be in that valley with her. That's the wisdom of Jesus. All these broken people come to him. Why doesn't he just wave his arms and send them home? Okay, all you people, you're all well now. All you people are depressed, no longer depressed. Everyone's all better. Maybe they came with that expectation. But what did they got? What did they get? A sermon. I wanted to be healed. You give me a sermon? Jesus says, yes. I wanted to be healed. Not just do I give you a sermon. I give you myself. When you're in that place of of brokenness of spirit. I am with you. That brokenness doesn't mean I'm gone. That brokenness means that this is an opportunity for you to know I'm there as you've never known it before. 
Likewise, those who mourn. You know, I'm not sure that Gail Sheehy did much of a, did us a great favor by talking about the, the phases of grief. It's as if grief is something we get through and get over. And then if we don't get it behind us, there's something wrong with us and we need therapy. But the reality is that grief has its way with us. It wakes us up in the middle of the night. It comes to us in moments, even when it might be years and years ago, that we experienced what we experienced. I remember my, our dog Buff when I was a little kid. Buff would be so, he'd be laying on the floor sleeping. And then out of the blue, he'd come up and start bugging me. He'd lick me, try to do the fake bite thing, want me to go play. And there was no predicting it. That's grief. It's sleeping in our spirit, and then all of a sudden it wakes up and comes and wants to, wants to bite us. I was, just, I was at Sam's Club the other day. Saw a dad, two boys, 12, 13-year-old. They came really close together. I thought they might be twins. And mom was off somewhere. Beautiful African-American family. When I saw those boys, so full of life, and they looked like athletes, out of the blue, I got gripped by grief from the accident that I had when I was 13 years old. When in the woods, I fell. My gun discharged, and the bullet passed through my best friend. Blessed are those who mourn. Because in such times, we, in our mourning, in our loss, in our sense of, of our humanity, in our sense of our mortality, we are drawn near to God. It's not that we try to mourn. We don't want to mourn so we get close to God. Mourning has its way with us. Grief takes us, shakes us. Grief has its way. Blessed are the meek. I love the word. We, we have this image of what meek looks like. <laughs> Shrinking violet, the, kind of the nerd at the high school party and you know, the one with no friends. And, well, and, and it's missing the whole point of what meekness is really all about. Meekness, meek is taken from the equestrian world. It's a Greek word taken from the equestrian world. It means a horse that is freshly broken. It's got all of its strength, but it's been broken. It's got life and and purpose and meaning, but it's been broken. And it has to start all over again. It's not wild anymore. 
doesn't know how to proceed with life. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, the, the ones who get broken by the realities of life. And when we're there, we want God to fix it once again. Okay, God, I'm broken. Fix me. We all have our examples. I could go right through the room and just one after another for you to tell your story of times when you were broken. It doesn't feel good. But it's at such times that, that the Lord is with us. When I was at UC Santa Barbara and my, I knew my basketball career was near an end, I made the mistake in college of thinking that it was about an education, not about basketball. So I put my focus in my coursework rather than my game. I surrendered my scholarship in my third year. And when I did that, I, one night I took off. It was foggy in Santa Barbara. And so I went up on the hills and looked over, got up about 3,000 feet and looked out over the city, which was so beautiful because the, the light was coming through the fog. And out on the horizon, the Channel Islands stood clear and, and pristine in the, in the moonlight that night. I was broken. But somehow, that scene communicated that God was, God was still God. He was with me. Nothing got fixed. I felt horrible. I felt awful. I felt the only reason like, people would like me at all is because I was on the basketball team. I had to start over again. I had to start again. You've been there. You know how it is. Blessed are you in those times when you find yourself made meek by life. Meekness is not a personality trait. It's a place that comes to us. And we can do our best to fend it off, but all of that is just human effort that cannot overcome the reality of our brokenness. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what does that mean? Hunger and thirst so that we can be really good people? Hunger and thirst that we, we stop at all stop signs completely? Hunger and thirst for righteousness that we don't have untoward thoughts or don't, don't speak words that we shouldn't say. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or is it that we hunger and thirst that we be in right relationships with God, with one another? that brokenness in relationships might be mended. And we hunger for that. Those loved ones that we are alienated from, that somehow that we would hunger and thirst, that we be made right and brought together with them again. See, this is a sermon to all of us. 
not just emptying out the, the insane asylums, not just emptying out the nursing homes, not just emptying out the woods, but bringing folks up from Port Royal and down from Pelican Bay and from Autumn Woods, from the entire city. This is, this is a word for all of us. Because it doesn't matter what has been our life, what has been our level of success. Jesus knows our condition. He knows that we are a, a fallen people. He comes to us. And these words are spoken with his extended hands. And his love flowing from his heart. This is not a sermon that says when we come away from it, I've just got to get myself mustered up and do the right thing. No, it's just the reality of our humanity. Well, Bill and Dean and Don were showing me a picture this morning of the woman who is the great-granddaughter of John Stetson. So they gave Billy a Stetson hat to take a picture with this woman. It was full of years, could barely speak, a dear child of God in her wheelchair. And there she was with, with these two who had gone to sing some fun songs and some Jesus songs as well, to be a comfort to her and to care for her. Because she is, even though she may have all the resources in the world, she is just like the rest of us. Just like all of us together. So Billy Dean and Don actually did what the sermon is really talking about. They converted an idea into action. What did they do? They went, played for her, prayed with her, laughed with her, sang. For her. They embodied the reality of Jesus being with her in her brokenness, in her need, in her longing. And that's what we do. We simply embody Christ with one another and accept the fact that. I may not feel poor in spirit, but feelings don't equate to reality. We are poor in spirit. I may not feel the grief, but not right now. I will. Because I'm human and I live in this world and there's so much that is lost. I may not feel broken. But I am. And I do. I hunger and thirst that somehow 
And we all do. Somehow it might be made right with one another and with our God. The empowering work of Jesus is carried through the words of his sermon to all of us in our place. Will you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, what might sound odd, what might seem like it's not practical. Lord, we just need to dig deeper. We need to hear more clearly. We need to walk in the way of hearing you, knowing you, and allowing ourselves to be loved by you. Lord, may your own words come to us with their transforming power. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.